Well, if you're an Office fan, then there's a couple things you know about Stanley. He's a little self-consumed, right? Not aware of anyone else around him, and he doesn't actually work at all, maybe at all. That's Stanley. And my dad could not be more different than Stanley. Uh, my dad grew up on a farm, as did my mom, in Weberville, Michigan. Isn't that a great name? Tiny little town, Weberville, Michigan. And they knew how to work. My dad actually built our home with his own hands. He did the whole thing himself, which is crazy. Two-story home, except for the electrical. He had help with the electrical. But, uh, and I was four years old when we moved in. And it was a beautiful place to live. Seven acres, but seven acres of land with a dad who knows how to work. Guess who got to work? That was me. It's hilarious, man. It took me all day long. I'm not kidding. All day long just to mow our lawn. So I got to say, when my kids complain about mowing my sugar house lawn, <laughs> kids rise me nuts all day long. We lived in Michigan. My dad was a teacher. We didn't have much money. And so we actually heated our home with wood. And so all fall, all I did was cut woods. We literally, literally built our home in the middle of a forest. So I would go and play football on Friday night, and Saturday morning I was awoken all fall to the sound of he wouldn't, he wouldn't come up and go, hey Dave, time to come out. No, just turn the chainsaw on, guilt trip me out of bed, get me out there to, to work all day long. It was crazy. We had three gardens, because my mom and dad had to can everything. You guys, we learned how to work. It was crazy. My dad's 83 now. And just a few years ago, he had to sell our home. And it was super hard. And all of us kids, we looked at him and he said, Dad, you don't have to move. You don't. It's, this is your place. You built this. It's like, just hire somebody else to mow the lawn and to take care of everything around us. And he just looked at us and he said, there is no way I could look out that window and see somebody else work my land. It was crazy. I'm going to tell you what, when you grow up with that, it was great. When I was in my late teens, I got a job in the city parks. And, uh, and it was a great summer job on the lawnmower, mowing Crampton Park in Lapeer, Michigan. It's where my mom used to take me when I was a kid. So I get out there, and I'm just mowing and working along. And all of a sudden, my boss pulls up in his truck, parks in the uh, parking lot, and he just sits there in the truck watching me. So I make my way around the park, and I come around. He's still watching me make my way around the park, come around. He's still watching me. Finally, he gets out of the truck, and he was great. He was about this tall, bald guy, kind of a round pop belly, and he walked like this. And he gets out of his truck, and I, so I turn my mower down, and I just wait for him, and he makes, makes his way up to me, and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And then he looks at me, he says, boy, why don't you get off that thing and take a break once in a while? And I just thought, are you kidding? I mean, it was hilarious. When you grow up like that with a work ethic that's put into you, you just work. <laughs> you just do it. You don't even realize it. And so that's actually what we're talking about today. We're in this series called Level Up. And we're actually going to talk about, this is a series on relationships. But what's interesting is we're going to see that as Paul was helping us to understand, how do you and I have really effective, tight relationships, he actually brings up this whole idea of work. 
So in this section, it's in Ephesians chapter 4, he's telling everybody how you should not live anymore. He says, you didn't learn, if you guys remember if you were here last week, he goes, that's not how you learned Christ. Now notice again, he didn't say this is not learn about him. He goes, when you learn Christ, in other words, when you really get to know Jesus, here's what he said in Ephesians 4, 24. He says, then put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the first thing he says is you have to put on a new self. And again, I just want to say, I'm going to say this all the time here. Because too many of us don't really understand what Jesus Christ came to do and what it means to have a relationship with him. It is not about just doing a bunch of things to try to appease God. We'll get to that in a second. But when you actually have a relationship with Jesus, when you learn Christ, then you put on this new self. There is a spiritual transaction. You actually receive the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes inside you. So what we have to learn is how do we put on this new self, this new relationship with Jesus? And he says, and when you get that spirit inside of you, he goes, you are created to be like God in true righteousness, which means just in ways things are meant to be. If you're gonna have relationships working as they were meant to be, then we need to be like God, created to be like him. So then, four verses later, here's what he says. How are we to be like God? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So if you have your program, you can go ahead and pull that out. All my notes are in there, or else you can take the app. If you have the K2 app, go ahead and pull that out, and you can hit right on our message, and all the notes are in there. Here's your first blanks. We are created to be like God, so get to work. Get to work. Now, I just want to say, I think this is a super applicable message for us today because most of us will actually spend a third of our lives doing what? Working. In fact, if you, there's 260 hour, uh, weekdays in a year. If you spend eight hours a day on those weekdays, that's 2,080 hours. If you do that for 40 years on average, work for 40 years, you will spend 83,200 hours at work. And so this is a good thing for us to hear because God has some very important things to say to us about work. All right? Here's the first one. We're created to be like God. In Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, it says God created and it was good. Now in the verse, when it says we are supposed to, everyone must work doing something useful with their own hands, that word means useful. It means good. It means beneficial. It means every single one of us should be creating something that's beneficial for everybody else that's actually good. And that's what God did. And the first thing he does is he creates and that work produces something beneficial and good for all of us. Genesis chapter two, it says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
And then God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You guys, here's what we need to understand. We are created in the image of God. And it is divine. It is supernatural. It is godly to work. Jesus says in John 5, 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. So even right now, while you're sitting in this service, God is working. He's moving. He's producing. He's doing something useful, something beneficial for others around him. Okay? So now let me say something real quick before I get into because this is a very practical message today. But before I do, this is super important for us to understand. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I just want to say that again because human religion, the very thing that Jesus was so upset about when he came to the planet, was that people were teaching that you actually have to do good works to get God's favor. You have to try to show him how good you are, and if you've done enough, then God will actually love you. And we just need to say right off here, as even, even though the work where I'm going to be talking about today is more our labor, I just want to say so many times we flick it in, we go, I knew it, that God's this God demanding that I do these things so that I can be good enough and so I can be loved by God. Do you see this verse? <laughs> You are saved by grace, and it's a gift, not by works, so that nobody can boast. But the next verse says this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is super important. You are not saved by doing works for God, but once by faith, you receive God's forgiveness so that you're reconciled back to God and God's spirit gets inside of you as soon, that's salvation. That's being reconciled to God, both having your sins forgiven so you get connected back to God. But once the spirit of God gets inside of you, he goes to work. You become his handiwork and he produces in Christ Jesus. See, this is putting on the new self. The new self is I have the spirit of Jesus. I am created. God is creating me in Christ to do good works. So on both sides, we get messed up all the time. People are saying, oh, I got to work for God. And then, but then other people become Christians and they go, oh man, I'm saved. I don't have to do a thing. Both of those are wrong. When God gets inside you, he is a God who works. But you aren't getting it to get his love. You do it because you've got his love. All right? Now, so here's my statement. Here's kind of our phrase for today as we get into the practical piece of, of why is this about relationship? And why is work so important to God? Here's your phrase. It's in your notes. Give your best to give something good. Give your best to give something good. Do something useful with your hands. Do something beneficial do something that's good. Give your best for someone else so that you have something to share with somebody who has a need. Give your best 
so that you can give something good. Now, why are we doing this in relationships? Here's why. Here's the definition for work. It's when you make yourself useful to somebody else. You make yourself useful for somebody else. It's not for yourself. Okay? And this is crazy. When I was studying this this week, this is one of the most beautiful things that hit me. If you only work, if all the work you did was just for yourself, if you planted your own garden and did your own work and you, you were just isolated all by yourself, there could actually be no economy. <laughs> there would be no actual civilization. See, the truth is, we, when God made us, he actually made us useful to each other. Yes, this is a crazy thought, but I want to throw this by you. This is what hit me this week as I was studying with Tim Keller, some of his best stuff about work, as he said this. God's invention of work was his way to actually create community. It was his way to create civilization because every one of us is given. So God creates within you an ability and a talent and a skill and an intellect so that you can produce something useful with your hands that benefits another person who's in need. See, so this is actually all about relationship. And we're going to talk about this. What do you produce that's useful for people in your home? And at work tomorrow, and here at church, you are an absolutely important part to God creating his community and for every person to be, have their needs met. It actually is all about relationship, okay? Now, before I get into the practical stuff, here's two relationship killers. There's two relationship killers that the Bible tells us we need to be careful about. The first one is right in the verse, and it's stealing, okay? No store. He just points, he says, no one should be stealing, okay? Which simply is what? It's to take what is not yours without paying for it. So really, stealing is the, just the exact opposite of work. Somebody's laboring so that they can produce something, but someone who's stealing is just doing it so they can take something. <laughs> just the opposite, okay? Y'all know that you shouldn't steal? Y'all good with that one? All right, we're just gonna move on. I think you all get the point you shouldn't steal. But this next one is so intriguing. And I think after 30 years of ministry, I don't know if I've taught this specific passage but here's the other relationship killer when it comes to work, and it's idleness. It's idleness. What is idleness? Idleness is when you spend time doing nothing, and you move aimlessly, no purpose or lazily. Look at this passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus, okay? So again, he's talking to people who are saying, I follow Jesus, I follow Jesus. And he goes, oh, wait a second. So you say you follow Jesus, but you don't do anything. You're idle, you're completely disengaged. And he says, so I urge you, in the Lord Jesus. Do you guys remember? This is, you didn't learn Christ this way. You're supposed to put on the new self. You've been created in Christ. And Christ is a God who works. 
So we urge you in the Lord Jesus to settle down and earn the food that you eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, all the rest of you, never tire of doing what is good, of what's useful, of what's beneficial. Don't ever tire about being productive in your life and producing something so that you have something to share with everybody else around you. Now, this word idle, it actually was a military term. And so if, if anybody in the military would get out of rank, so in other words, they would get disorderly. While the other soldiers were doing their duty, they weren't doing their duty. So it simply came to mean when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So let's think about this for a second. Why is the Bible actually saying, taking a whole section, because there's more verses to this than I pulled up on the screen. Why is it absolutely critical for our relationships that you aren't idle? And I want you to think about this at your home and at your workplace and here at K2. All right? Here's the first reason. Idleness is a relationship killer because there's no fulfillment when people are idle. What does that mean? It means that the only way anything can be absolutely the best that it can possibly be is if every person does their part. If you've ever been on a team, a sports team, all it takes is one guy who doesn't train, who's not in shape, who doesn't learn the plays, and he doesn't do his part. And you know what? The team won't win. Anybody in here been in a workplace situation? You had somebody who wasn't pulling their weight who was idle, guess what happens? Everybody pays for it <laughs> because one person was idle. You cannot experience the fulfillment of anything if you have people who are a part of that effort who are being idle. Number two, why is it a relationship killer? Because then that breeds resentment. It breeds resentment. Come on, man, unless you're like super holy in your home, how many of you have yelled at some point, do I gotta do everything around here? Right, because what happens? It's like, man, I'm washing the dishes and I'm doing the clothes and I'm cleaning the floors. It's like, when, if, if people in the home aren't pulling their weight, if you're a guy or a gal who's sitting on the couch, if you're playing video games, if you're on your phone, and everybody else is doing the work, man, it builds resentment. And eventually, the third thing is, you won't trust that person anymore. If you have somebody who's idle, who doesn't pull their weight, who's not a part of making things great, you lose trust in them. And then the last one is this word busybody. Interesting. Busybody. What is that? A busybody is this. Literally, the word in the Greek means to be working around about instead of at one's own business. So instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing and being faithful in that, you're working all the way around here. So here's what it came to mean. It's some who are not busied in their own business, but are over busied in that of others. Oh, I see lots of heads nodding. <laughs> you know people like that, huh? You know what's interesting? Is these end up being the most critical people. They're the people who sit back and instead of pouring out their sweat and blood and trying to figure it out and wrestling with the failures and working together to figure out the problem, instead they sit back and they observe. You know what they are? They're sports fans is what they are, <laughs> right? 
Isn't that what we are? I mean, what a joke. I sit in my living room crunching on my, you know, my snacks and my food and yelling at the TV. Oh, come on, you guys. What's wrong with you? That's a busybody. You know, and, and I, I tell you, I am the worst at a basketball game with referees. I just, I confess, it, I'm not good at a, at a game because I can see every call they miss. And I'm yelling at them, come on, what's wrong with you? And then I'll never forget, I actually had to ref a basketball game. I missed everything. I couldn't see it. And I tell you what, what the Bible is saying, if you're not busy doing your own thing and you're idle and you pull back, then you have the tendency to see what everybody else is doing wrong. If you're a critical person in your spirit, observing that, the Bible's really clear. That's a busy body and it's idle. Don't do it. Get back to work. You know what's interesting? Is when a car is idle, what does that mean? It means it's disengaged. So I was teaching my daughter Ashlyn how to drive. We were in the high school parking lot yesterday, right? Two other kids were in the high school parking lot with us. And we're going through this, and I'm teaching her all this stuff about the car, and she's trying to find the right spot and get it into drive, and every once in a while it gets slipped into neutral. And what happens if it's in neutral and it's idling? You can press down the gas. The engine's like, and you're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. God, listen to this. God is a God who's always working. Always working, always producing something good and beneficial for somebody else. And here's what I want to tell you. If you're idle, if, and I'm going to point, I'm going to just tell you, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and yet you don't carry your weight at home, if you are not a hard worker at your workplace, and as we're going to talk about here at K2, if you're disengaged, then you're not, if you're idle, I'm sorry, if you're idle, then you are disengaged from God. So you can say that you follow Jesus, okay? But if you do, that means you're engaged with him. And sure enough, as soon as you take that and you stick it and drive, it engages and what happens? The car goes. The car will move as soon as it's engaged. So if you are following Jesus, if you're keeping in step with his spirit, his spirit, the spirit of God, is a God who works. And so let's engage in that. Now I'm going to get super practical, and I'm going to give you four ways that we do this. Here's the first one. How do you give your best by giving something good? Number one is you give your best for God. Give your best for God. Colossians 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Whatever you do. So you're going to wake up tomorrow and all, most of all of us in this room, you're going to go to work. Do you work at it with all your heart? Do you give it your best? And I want to tell you, this is huge. I'm, two things when you think about giving your best for God when it comes to work. And, it, and I think it deals with motive and it deals with perspective. What's going to be your motive to wake up, to go home today 
and to give your best to give something good at home. Tomorrow at work here at K2. Why do you give your best? Because Jesus Christ has given his best for you. This is part of what it means to put on the new self. To start off your day, you guys start off your day. Get up in the morning. I tell you to do this all the time. I get up every morning and we should connect with him. We should actually connect with God. We should be praying. We should be reading his word and getting connected. But while you're doing that, one of the things you do is you just stop and you go, thank you, God. Thank you for all the work that you do for me. Thank you for how Jesus, you did all the work on the cross for me. You have forgiven me of all my sin. I don't ever have to try to prove myself worthy to you. You have forgiven me. You took it upon yourself. You did all the work. And then I receive the gift. And when that mentality gets inside of you, that God loves you, that he's working for you, that can be your motive to say, then I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to give my best. But here's the other thing I want to I really challenge you and myself on our perspective. How do you give your best to God? And, and here's what I think. Again, the first thing is you got to put this new self. I was created in Christ. I'm created in Christ. Christ is in me. So now think about this. If Christ is in you, you get up tomorrow morning, you spend time with God, you connect your heart with him, and here's what most of us do. I think we do. We go, okay, God, I prayed up, I've read the Bible, and I'll see you as soon as work's done. And then we walk out our door and we go work for God. And here's the truth though, you guys, God never intended just to give us us working orders and say, good luck out there, go get them. No, really what you should be doing tomorrow is connect with him, receive his grace, praise him for all that he's done. And then what he is saying is, now I'm in you, I'm going to work with you. See, this is a completely different mindset. I think most of us think that this hour right here, here's my spiritual time. Okay, I'm going to give God my hour and a half. We're getting all spiritual. And then I'm just going to go home and I'm going to go work and I'm just going to live my life. And then I'm going to come back and be spiritual. But Jesus is like, no, I actually came to redeem all of your life. I had a good friend. He said this. People have used God's characteristics, principles, and teachings in their work. And that's a good thing, you guys. You, we should learn God's principles and his characteristics and his teachings when you go to work tomorrow. But then he said this. But just using those principles, it's not the supernatural experience of a living being. People have not applied God into their work as an alive being. Do you guys, do you guys know how exciting your workplace could be if you were aware that God is alive in you. What does that mean? That means that God, what? He has ideas. He wants you to thrive at your work. He literally, I know people who include Jesus in their work like this, and every time they need something, they'll just stop and they'll go, God, help me with this. You guys remember Jamie Winship as a cop? Some of you who were here last year, and he said, as a cop, he just said every time a call would come in, he'd go, okay, the first thing he'd do is he'd go, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to know? 
about this situation. And what happened over and over and over is God gave him ideas and helped him to solve crimes as a cop. And I'll never forget Jamie standing on the stage and he's saying, and you're going to work every day and you're trying all by yourself. You could actually be working in Christ. You could be working with Christ. You could take any situation that arises and go to him immediately and say, Jesus, what do you want me to know about this? Give me your ideas. Jesus, what do you want me to know about this coworker, this boss? Jesus, how do you want me to see them? And he will lead you. You guys, he wants you to thrive in your workplace. And I'll never forget, Jamie said, you know what happens? You know what happens? Because here's the other thing. If the spirit of God is inside of you and you're actually working, not just for yourself, but for everybody else around you, then everybody else around you is being lifted up and encouraged because of your presence. And you know what happens? Your boss looks at you and he says, Man, everybody else is doing better because of this person. They're not about themselves. And this person has an amazing work ethic. They give everything they've got. Guess what happens to people who give everything they've got, who do great work and make the workplace better for everybody else? What happens? You get the promotion. So you're not even doing it for yourself. You're actually working with all your heart for God. That's good work right there. So give your best to God. Okay, now let's go through these others really quick. Number two, give your best for your family. See, you guys, you can't have a good family life. Anybody, we all know this. There's a ton of work that has to happen in our homes. First Timothy 5.8 says this, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think the first time you read that, you go, what? I just didn't provide for my own household, and I have denied the faith. Why? Because it's the nature of God to work. And so if God, if you've received Christ and his spirit is living inside of you, you will work. And therefore, in work, you provide income to take care of your family. So if you're a real believer, you, again, are engaged with God and you'll work. But you guys, outside of that, working for to provide for your home, man, I tell you, is there any place where more bitterness rises up between especially brothers and sisters, between parents and kids, trying to get your kids to do their chores? How come she has to do this and I don't have to do this? And everybody's bitter and angry and the whole home can be a wreck simply because nobody will do their part. And what would happen? What happens when everybody, sons and daughters and fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, do their part? It adds to the peace relationships work. I want to tell you, when I do premarital counseling with people, there's not one premarital book or, or study or anything that doesn't say at some point you have to talk about roles and responsibilities. You've got to figure out before you're married who's going to do what. What are the expectations? Because there's going to be a lot of work that has to be done, and you've got to figure that up. So train up your child, right, parents? Train up your child. My mom and dad trained me up so that when I went out to work, it was no big deal. But I can tell you this, I never won time ever wanted to do it. <laughs> ever. I never wanted to mow the lawn all day 
or cut wood all day or be in the hot sun weed in the garden? Not once. But they trained me up. And know what I realized? That's actually training you up to be like God because God's a God who works. Okay, third one, give your best for the church. We're in relationship right here with each other. Ephesians 4.16 says this, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You guys, this is again. So again, if you're saying, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, okay, then I just got to tell you, if Jesus is inside of you, then you're engaged. That means you're engaged with him. And if you're engaged with a God who's worked, then here at K2, this is what Jesus calls his bride. This is his body. So in other words, if we're going to love Jesus, this, and that's why we say all the time here, you, the Bible never talks about just going to church. You don't go to church. He says, you are the church. You're the church. And look at this, you guys. If we're ever going to experience the fullness of what God wants to do, if the needs are going to be met in this community, then it's going to take every part doing its work. So can I just challenge you? I just want to encourage you. If you call K2 home, if you just visit, that's fine. If you're just visiting, that's fine. But if you say K2's my church, but you actually don't do your part, I got to wonder if you're actually really engaged because otherwise you're disengaged, you're idle here. And God says, but if you're engaged with me, I'm at work. And man, he's working here. He's doing amazing things here. And you are all supposed to be doing something useful with your own hands, something good, something to benefit so that you have something to share with somebody else in this place who has a need. So you guys had need for worship this morning. So our whole team spent hours and practice and got here at six in the morning to share with you so that you could benefit. You had a need for teaching. So I spent hours this week preparing, using my gift to teach you. Some of you have a need for someone to hold your baby. <laughs> and they're in there loving your baby so that you can be here. Your kids have needs and people right now are helping your kids to thrive while you're in here. And some of you need coffee, right? And we have people who met your need. Can I, I just want to tell you, the church can only be the fullness of the greatness of what God wants it to be when everybody is engaged with God. I'm involved. That means I work. And here's the last thing in closing. Give your best for those with a need. Give your best for those with a need. And this is the most intriguing thing to me. You're going to go to work tomorrow. And every one of you is, this is what you're going to do. You're going to provide a service for somebody else who has a need. Every one of you. And did you ever stop and think about that? Like, that's an amazing thought. You know, we, we back in 2002... A buddy, I, we were connected, and he helped us to get a 2002 Ford Windstar, okay? A 2002 Ford Windstar van was the worst-rated van by far. When you got consumer reports, you know, you had your Hondas and your Toyotas, even the Chrysler minivan was great. They were like 80s and 90s, and then all the way down at 40, because I think that's as low as they go, Ford Windstar, 
And I want to tell you, man, we're like, oh, great. So this is the car that we got. You know what was amazing? We drove that puppy forever. And it ended up being a great car. We never had one problem with that car. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But I'm guessing. You know what happened? The people who were on the line that day when they went to work, they gave it the best that they had. And they put together that car and they benefited a family they never will actually meet. They served us. We had a need for a car that could go back and forth to Michigan with tiny little kids in it. And somebody provided that service. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. It is true. When you work, you are providing a service to someone who has a need. And it's valuable. Now look at this. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says this. Do nothing. Okay, so let's just, since it says do nothing, here's what I want to do. We're going to say don't work. Okay, don't work out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You guys apply this when you think about work. Don't you, let me just ask you a question. Why do most of us work? You know why most of us work? We're trying to find a job that can make us enough money so that we can live the lifestyle that we want to live. Others, others of us are actually trying to find a job that gives us a sense of value and I want a certain position. A certain, uh, uh, that, give, that validates who I am as a person. Others, uh, others of us are trying to find a job that will actually fulfill us. We're thinking that our job is the thing that's, act, our job becomes our idol. See, what's interesting, if you are working so that you can make enough money so you can live the life that you want, so that you get validated in your identity, and so that you have found fulfillment in your life, the only person you're thinking about is who? It's yourself. There's this amazing author, her name's Dorothy Sayers, and she wrote during World War II. And right as soon as the war was over, she has this amazing uh, a book on the, on the very ethic of work, and she wrote to the people in England. She was living in England at the time. And she said, you guys, remember this. When the war was in, its, in the thick of it, right in the thick of the war, she said, all of us had to work for our country to survive to thrive. And so everybody had a mentality, I'm laboring for my country. And she said, the biggest danger is what's gonna happen now that the war's over. She was, now we're gonna sneak right back and we're gonna start to work for ourselves. But this scripture right here, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't work just for yourself. See your work as a chance to value other people. You are contributing to the world. You are blessing someone. You are serving somebody else. So you give your best. You give your best because you're sharing what you're producing with somebody who has a need. And you guys, if that's your mentality, it's our self-centered mentality that creates such a havoc in our workplaces craves the competition, trying to climb over each other. We look at it and it's not satisfying us and so we become critical in our spirit. But if we can remember, 
I serve a God who served me. I follow a God who's always at work, but he's working to always benefit somebody else. And that spirit is in me. I'm going to put on the new self, created to be like God. And I'm telling you, if you and I will go home today, you will make your home a better place if you will have this act of heart, of service, to benefit somebody else. Tomorrow morning on Monday, no matter what your boss is like, no matter what your coworkers are like, you can walk in tomorrow at work and say, you know what? I'm gonna do this because I'm created to be like God. And I'm gonna work for the benefit. And I'm gonna do the best I've got for him. And I'm gonna do it with him. And even here at K2, who could we be if all of us who call this our home says, I'm gonna engage with God. He's at work here. He's at work here. And I'm gonna be at work here too. I want to help make this place the best it can be. So I don't know where your application is, but it's actually pretty simple. <laughs> if you actually follow Jesus, then the first thing you got to say is then put on that new self. Remember that you have received a God who did all the work for you, but now he's doing work in you so that you'll do great work to bless other people. Make sure you remember that you were created to be like God. And the God you serve is a God who works. And then where's your application? Do you need to get off the couch at home? Do you need to pour yourself out and be more faithful tomorrow morning at work? Do you need to get engaged here where Jesus is working? And the Holy Spirit's already told you. I don't need to tell you. You already know inside your heart the step you need to take. All right? So let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for working for us. Thank you that our salvation is not based on what we have to do for you. We worship you because you are a God who's constantly doing what is beneficial, what is good, what is useful for us. This is your nature. And we thank you, God, that you came to rescue us from our sinful nature, from our selfish nature, from this this thing that we just grow up with that makes us think about ourselves more than anybody else. We are not naturally created to serve others. So we thank you that you came to rescue us from that, to forgive us for our selfish mentality, but you also came to fill us with your spirit so that you could strengthen us to do good works. We thank you, God, that you are at work within us right now. So God, I just pray for everyone who's sitting here. What relationships at home or at school or at work or here would be better by them simply fully engaging, by giving everything they've got, the best they've got for you, by giving something good and useful to somebody else? I just pray you'd show them that and then strengthen us, God. Give us power to be able to say yes to you and then help us to see the beauty that's created when we do. And I ask for that in Jesus' name, amen.